Hello there, and welcome to a very scary edition of Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we watch a movie on VHS from either my collection of tapes or Lindsay's collection of tapes. We watch it, and then we talk about it. Lindsay, it is officially October, and you know what that means. We're watching some spooky movies. Ah, yeah, except that this isn't that spooky. Well, it does end on Halloween with women dressed as witches flying around. Okay, yeah, I guess practical magic is spooky. That's what the movie is, practical magic, and this is your choice. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with this movie. I mean, it's not it's nothing very deep. I've just seen it a few times. I remember enjoying it as a kid. I was a big fan of ER when I was growing up, and so seeing one of the ER heartthrobs in this movie as a bad guy always tripped me up a little bit, and that was something that I think fascinated me about this movie, was seeing someone you thought of as a good guy play that evil one. That's uh, Goran Vizginik. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. As the abusive boyfriend, Jimmy who's killed, resurrected, killed again, and then haunts them. And is then eventually exercised. Yeah, it's funny. I was living in London uh, when, when this movie came out, when I was in the fourth grade. And so there's a whole block of movies that I kind of missed because at the time England would get movies like three months after they debuted in America. And so I had no idea what practical magic was because i sort of missed the boat on it when it first came out yeah it came out in october of 1998 um which was the semester of school that i spent abroad and while some of the movies i missed while i was abroad i really sought out you know like bride of chucky for example (laughs) um i uh yeah i kind of missed the boat on this and it was new but uh i don't know why i mean because it's right up my alley in a lot of different ways We did have some ads on the tape. Eight ads to uh, add it up to Lindsay's tally. Aw, yeah. And it's not even a kid's movie. And it's another one of those ones that starts with one ad that's essentially a hundred ads thrown into one segment. Yeah, we're counting that as one. It's uh, the WB Century Collection, which is a lot like the, uh, was it? The 20th Century Fox Selections. Yeah. They notably don't call the Fox Selections classics, because they know they aren't. You know, this this tape came out at a funny time. I guess it's 99 that it, this tape came out, and it was right on the cusp of DVD kind of coming out, and I feel like they're kind of trying to unload all these old VHS tapes, at least my, that's my read on it, just by putting this new kind of branding on it, the Century Collection. And the movies that they highlight and the reasons why you should buy these tapes tell you a lot about this time. Like, they tell you you need to rush out and get U.S. Marshals, which is, like, the not-very-well-received sequel to The Fugitive. And they tell you you need to get City of Angels with Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan because there are two music videos after the credits by U2 and the Goo Goo Dolls. The Goo Goo Dolls really dates it. Yeah. They say that there's 25 favorites. I think favorite is a good word to use because it's subjective. Sure. They, I mean, like, these are movies that I think a lot of people like. Unforgiven. A lot of Clint Eastwood on this segment. Uh, Bridges of Madison County. The Shawshank Redemption. The One Bodyguard. Flo- yeah, The Bodyguard with Whitney Houston. And uh, Bonnie and Clyde is featured very heavily. 
maybe I'll just race through the uh, the rest of these ads since there's so many of them. We got one for Soldier, the Kurt Russell uh, sci-fi movie. And it says, look for it on VHS and DVD. That's not something we see very often. Yeah. You can kind of tell we're coming into the end of an era. Uh, Without Limits, kind of a generic inspirational sports movie with Billy Crudup and Donald Sutherland. Uh, Getting a look for that one on VHS and DVD as well. We got Pleasantville with uh, Tobey Maguire. Did you ever see that one? No, I haven't. I always confuse it with Election, which I have seen. Oh yeah, another Reese Witherspoon movie. Yeah, that one's worth checking out. The kind of like black and white idealized world Mm -hmm. meeting reality there's a really weird ad living out loud have you ever heard of this movie no it's apparently it's a midlife crisis movie starring holly hunter where she gets dumped by her long-term partner and into the arms of danny devito question mark oh is that what the ad was presenting i think that it's a rom-com and they're the romantic leads i did not pick that up from the (laughs) and queen latifah is there kind of like encouraging this match That is not what I got from it. Maybe we should see Living Out Loud to see if that's what that movie's about. I think it's just hard to conceive of a pairing like that, so maybe that's where I didn't pick up on it, but it was there. That's just such a Hollywood thing. It's like, oh, Holly Hunter, you're in your 40s. We're going to pair you with Danny DeVito now. It's so unfair. All right, so I just looked this up because I was having a hard time believing that Danny DeVito was a love interest, and according to the Wikipedia summary, he's just a friend. Okay. Maybe I wanted to believe that match. I think you were just projecting what you wanted to see. <sighs> oh, I kind of hope Danny DeVito ends up with at least Queen Latifah because I want to see him as a romantic lead. Did he ever do that in any movie? Has he been in a romantic lead? Maybe in bits of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Our next ad is Ronin. Uh, I mean, these are all of these are all grouped together of a very particular time, like late '98. That's that Robert De Niro kind of globe-trotting spy movie. All that I really remember about it is that it has a cool car chase in it. Oh, wow. And then we get the most interesting ad to me, which is the ad for the concept of DVDs. Three times better than VHS. And as my dad always pointed out when we'd see these ads on VHS tapes, is it's like you're trying to show us how crystal clear the picture is on DVD, but we're watching this ad on a VHS tape. I think that's why my mom and I didn't understand the hype for DVD. And my brother was pushing us to get a DVD player when that was a thing. And we were kind of late to adopt because my mom and I were just like, well... What does DVD really look like? How could it be that much better than this? We're still going to have the same TV. And then we got a DVD player and it was so much better. Part of this ad, it's a close-up of different people like watching something on a DVD. I guess for the first time, they're actors. But they're just freaking out because as the narrator tells us, bullets whiz faster on DVD, screams are louder on DVD, aliens are slimier. And everything is better. My favorite is a movie the size of a CD. Yeah, and it's like, (laughs) they also say that the sound is infinitely better, which I don't know if I agree with. So here's the thing that I only just thought of. Why, if a DVD is essentially it looks like a compact disc, why did they package them differently? 
so that you could see immediately see the difference between your CD and your DVD? I think so. And I think just as consumers, we we were just so used to getting our movies in a rectangular package like yeah. that. You know, like, like a VHS box. And I feel like those... And for a while, I feel like they're even like packaging wars between like the cardboard snap case Mm -hmm. and the one that is like all plastic and the plastic one eventually won out i also wonder if it's a a packaging thing like they wanted to create that dust jacket like cover so they could still have more space to advertise the film and put all that information on which there's not as much space to do that on a cd regular like cd case our last ad is for the soundtrack to practical magic we've got some exciting stuff on here it's always weird to me when they advertise the soundtrack for a film before you see the film. But anyway, they've got Stevie Nicks. Two new recordings by yeah. Stevie Nicks. Who's singing with Faith Hill in the ad. Yeah. And it's kind of funny to look at Faith Hill and then see how see how Xander Bullock is styled in the movie because they definitely styled them similarly. There's Lisa Hall. I don't know who that is. And then uh, there's the great Joni Mitchell. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure if that's a new Joni Mitchell song or where they sounded like a classic one. Yeah. But uh, I'm always charmed by ads for the soundtrack because I feel like that's something that just has sort of gone the wayside is like mm-hmm. really promoting the soundtrack. Uh, what is Practical Magic about, Lindsay? So it's the story of two girls who come from a long line of witches and one of their ancestors essentially created a curse on all men who would love them. In hindsight, probably wasn't a great idea given that instead of just avoiding loving someone, you fall in love with someone and then he will die. Not a great setup. So their father died prematurely and These girls, one of them, Sandra Bullock, says that she will never fall in love. And Nicole Kidman is insistent that she wants to fall in love right away. And so they're kind of going through life. They've got different personalities. They've got different pursuits. And it's a story of the repercussions of love and how they deal with that tied into all of this crazy magical stuff going on that they have tied to them. Yeah, it's interesting the mix of genres, too. Like, it's part romantic comedy, but also a family drama, because mm-hmm. you got the ants played by Diane Weist and Stockard Channing. And then there's, like, genuine supernatural horror elements with yeah. the boyfriend that's been resurrected. And it's interesting how they blend it, because some of the elements, you could just strip away all of the magic and just have it as a simple family drama slash rom-com that would work pretty well and it's the other thing that's I, I was gonna say weird but that i like about it is that they touch on very dark things like abuse in relationships and the death of loved ones and all that but they ma- they they maintain a tone that's very light i don't feel like it's bringing me down you know i i feel involved in it it's shocking when it needs to be but still overall uplifting which is not easy to do Yeah, it touches on a lot of interesting themes like sisterhood. It's clear that even though Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman are very different, like they do genuinely care about each other, as do all the people in this family. And I feel like a lot of movies of this kind of like 90s witch ilk, like The Craft, comes Mm -hmm. to mind. They're... They usually tend to turn on each other, but that's not really what this movie is about. Yeah, it's actually about women coming together and they find success and banish 
the evil ER doctor <laughs> by having all these women, even these women who weren't witches and who seemed to hate Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kimmon because of their magic. Um, but they, in the end, came together and supported them and cast him out. And it's 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 a nice sort of positive message of female empowerment, right? Instead of having it fracturing a community or that sort of thing. I also find Aiden Quinn's character very interesting. Uh, Gary, who's a state investigator from Tucson, Arizona. I wonder if he knows Romy and Michelle. Um, <laughs> who's looking for Jimmy, the boyfriend who's dead and buried in their backyard. Possibly undead boyfriend. And he basically fits the mold of this kind of, like, I don't want to say, like, ideal man to the sisters, but when they were girls, they sort of picked these these uh, these flower petals and put them in a bowl, and well, s- just kind of all the different attributes that he would have. They didn't do it together. It was Sandra Bullock that did it herself. Oh, okay. And then her sister was a witness to it. I didn't, I didn't catch that, but yeah. like one green eye, one blue eye, the favorite shape is a star, like the star in yeah. his badge. He's great at flipping pancakes. That's my favorite one. <laughs> That's like such a list that like a little girl would put together. I found yeah. those details very uh, genuine. And that she thought that it was an impossible characteristic for a man to have, right? <laughs> it's just so darling. Yeah. There's also some genuine drama in the movie. You, I mean, like, even though it's a very light tone, you know, Sally marries this guy, Michael, who's like an Apple salesman, and they have two kids. One of them, Kylie, is played by Evan Rachel Wood. True to this curse that was put on their bloodline, he's hit by a car and killed. And she kind of knows it's going to happen because she hears this beetle, like, yeah. clicking... I really like this movie, but he stands in the street forever. He nearly gets hit by a bunch of people on bicycles, and he doesn't. And so he's just like, ha, 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 that wasn't so bad. Ha, 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 ha. And he just continues to stand in the middle of the street. Looks like his eyes closed. It's a very odd scene. And then when he gets hit, you're thinking, he was blatantly in the middle of the street, in the middle of a town, where probably the speed limit is like 20 miles an hour. Doesn't really make sense that he would be hit and killed in that context, but you just gotta roll with it. Also, how fast is this truck going? Like, was he chasing all those bicyclists? It well, kind of just comes out of nowhere. I mean, yeah, that's what I don't get. And, he, and he's in the middle of the block, so it's not even like he's near an intersection where they could come up, you know, come up to him without having any foresight whatsoever. Bet on him, bet on the driver. <laughs> And the way that it's shot, it kind of just cuts to a close-up of the truck. So, like, in the spatial geography of the scene, you're not exactly sure where it's coming from. It's, like, a quick shot of the truck, and then a quick shot of him going, whoa! And then just, like, being slammed with it. Yeah. And those apples falling. So Sandra Bullock is the one who casts the spell as a child that she would fall in love with this man who wouldn't exist. And she thought her childhood logic was that if make myself fall for a man that doesn't exist, I'll never fall in love with anyone real and I'll never be hurt like my mother was with my father who died prematurely, right? So you can you can kind of follow the child logic. Her aunts are aware of the family curse. They know how their her mother died of a broken heart. And yet when she's an adult, uh, an adult they cast a spell on her 
so that she falls in love with the apple salesman. Which is pretty messed up. I mean, one, to be so meddlesome in her life, yeah. but two, essentially giving Michael a death sentence. Yeah, I mean, they essentially, yeah. And, and they said, well, we didn't expect you to really fall in love with him, like, this much. Like, after she marries him and has kids with him, it's like, what, yeah. you think that she doesn't love him? I don't know. And that they didn't take any moves to be like, hey, let's help you figure out this curse. Maybe the three of us could get rid of it together so that your children don't have their dad die. Another thing that confuses me about all of this is this character, Gary, who's, you know, very charming. You compared him to sort of like a Mel Gibson type. He has a type, a look that was really popular in the 90s and then seemed to fade away from public consciousness and everybody's like pretty and way too built now. Yeah, I guess so. It looks sort of ruggedly handsome. More sort of everyday, but still more attractive than the average person, probably. Yeah, I was going to suggest Daniel Craig just in terms of the face, but he's so built. Like he's yeah. a movie star. So yeah, I, I definitely see what you mean about that, but... I don't understand, did she actually just create him? It's, or was it through the spell? Like, what did the spell do exactly? I don't think that she created, because the movie implies they show the scene of him on a horse as a child. That was so. one of the weirdest shots in the movie. Yeah, I like really wanted an explanation weird. for and that. And he's sitting on the horse backwards, which I don't know if that was something in the spell. I can't remember the exact lines of the spell, but... It seems like the spell just connected them. It drew a line between them to pull them together, and it didn't necessarily create him. One of the sweeter moments of the movie is that she tells him, I did this spell, you only love me because of this, and he replies that he wished for her too, as if, as if he cast his own spell to look for her, which who knows if he really did. But That's still a sweet thing to say. It's a sweet thing to say. They kill the the abusive boyfriend. They resurrect him to, I guess, like, so they don't have to go to jail. But yes. then, of course, he immediately goes back to killing Nicole Kidman. So they because have he's to, a murderer. Yeah, he's a murderer. He, we find out later that he strangled another woman and yeah. is, like, wanted for her murder. They just kind of casually, like, well... The bringing him back to life thing goes back to when Michael died, her first, Sandra Bullock's first husband... She wanted to resurrect him, and the ants told her, no, he'll come back wrong. There will be a darkness. And so Nicole Kidman's response is, well, this guy's already dark. He sucks. Like, he was beating me. And I had to drug him so that I could have any peace and quiet. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a turn in the story that I have a lot of problems with. I mean, like, I realize that they need to resurrect him so that there's, like, the ghost plot, but... Why resurrect him? Like, when you're a witch, I feel like the powers are fairly restrained in this world. Like, they mostly yeah. just use them for, like, everyday chores, like stirring tea and stuff. I think they just kind of figured inevitably law enforcement would tie him to Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock. And Sandra Bullock has her kids. Like, she can't afford to potentially go to jail or have an even worse reputation in the town than she already does, right? As a witch. But couldn't they have, like, turned the body into a toad or something? Like, is there anything else they could have done except I mean, resurrecting him? That's one of the questions that I had when Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock were essentially kind of in a... Not really kidnapped, but they were essentially being held hostage by him. And Sandra Bullock's driving in the middle of the night. And he was threatening Nicole Kidman. So that's where Sandra Bullock goes along with it. But it's kind of like, 
if they have some magic, but we don't know, we don't know the rules of the magic in this world. None of that is very clearly defined. So we can see that they're able to cause little hexes on people, like they can point at some someone and make them have chicken pox and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But it, in terms of immediately doing something to mess him up enough to get away, it didn't seem like they had that ability. Yeah, and I kind of like that the magic is grounded. Like, it's not crazy Harry Potter spells that they're doing. It's like, like, for example, they even kill him through non-magical means. Yeah, they drug him with a plant that is tied to magic and can be used with magic, but is also, you know, a nightshade. I think critics were very divided about this movie when it first came out particularly just because of the clashing tones. It is pretty light throughout, even though it deals with some pretty dark stuff. I just found myself wishing that they'd kind of explore the witchcraft elements more. Yeah, it's definitely tied up in the personal relationships more. And I could see a critic looking at this and saying like, oh, it can't make up its mind if it's like steel magnolias or something more like the craft. Mm Mm-hmm. I I do think that these women have a lot of chemistry together, like Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman and the aunts and and the kids. Like, and it is pretty rare to see a movie that follows, like, six independent women. Yeah. I think the other thing, too, in defense of the magic not being a huge element and not being big and flashy, it's named Practical Magic. And you're seeing these women interacting and... It's imagining a world of everyday sort of magic, of of something that you could kind of see existing in the world around us, unseen and unknown. And I think that's what's kind of interesting for me about it, is it's, it's made a little bit more real. It's also interesting how it's a modern New England town. I mean, it was shot in Washington and California, but it's kind of pitched as this town where everyone kind of knows that they're witches and Mm -hmm. they still get picked on because this family has lived on the island for years and years. Yet later in the movie when they sort of need a bigger coven to exercise Jimmy's spirit from Nicole Kidman, they're kind of like, yeah, I'd sort of like to know what these witches are up to. I'll participate. And it's kind of like, oh, they didn't hate witches for like religious reasons they just didn't understand them and they sort of want to understand that world and be included yeah it seemed like they didn't like being excluded and they they were afraid of the unknown and the suspicion that they could be hurt and i think introducing the idea that any woman not even any woman any person has that sort of ability to bring out a certain amount of power is interesting because they even have the police officer from Arizona is able to find power and temporarily banish the evil ER ghost <laughs> with his badge because he's able to kind of believe in there that there's power in his badge. Yeah. So it's interesting that they kind of introduce the idea that anybody has this potential. It's just more exceptional in the, this particular family. You mentioned them uh, using their powers to do kind of just day-to-day tasks. I had very faint memories of this movie. I think I've seen it once or twice before, but much later after it came out. 
I feel like the sequence that I always remember is when they use their magic to, like, use the blender to make margaritas, and then Nicole Kidman wakes up Sandra Bullock, and it's like, they just have, like, this big, like, midnight margarita party, where they're listening to, like, Harry Nilsson's coconut song. And the ants are making the margaritas as if it's a magic potion. Yeah. For some reason, that sequence is very memorable. Maybe just because it's so weird that, like, in the middle of all this drama, it's suddenly, like, this kind of big like dance number where you hear most of that song coconut and it's so charming yeah and apparently i mean take this with a grain of salt but uh apparently they were drinking real tequila at least nicole kidman and sandra bullock were for much of that and a lot of their their drunk acting was kind of method (laughs) another thing that i find very memorable is just this ending sequence where it's almost like the epilogue to the movie where It's on Halloween, fittingly, for this time of year in this episode. All of them are standing on the roof of that Victorian house that they all live in, the the six witches, and they're they're dressed as witches with pointy hats. Yeah. Not very imaginative Halloween costumes, but still it's it's cool to see your witches wearing pointy hats. True stereotype down to the striped stockings. Oh yeah, those striped stockings are great. I mean, one of the complaints I had with uh, Mary Kate and Ashley and Double Double Toil and Trouble is that they did not. <laughs> dress up like witches except for the cover of the movie except for the cover of the tape i think that's such a missed opportunity that would have been a buy it if they'd done that uh um but i i just love the visual of them just sort of sliding like flying down on their umbrellas like for a movie that uses even the brooms are so grounded in this movie they don't fly around on brooms they just sort of like use them as almost like totems when they're holding them during that like exorcism scene Mm mm-hmm And I don't know, I'm just like a sucker for like old-timey New England Halloween stuff, like in Hocus Pocus. (laughs) So we've watched a lot of movies about witches on this show. Yeah. And I guess I'm sort of asking you, do you want to buy it, rent it, tape over it? Where does this kind of fall in line with the other movies you've had on the show? Like Hocus Pocus and The Witches and... Uh, and we might be doing another one later this month. Oh, I think I know what it is. I buy it. I have a lot of affection for this movie. I think it's fun. I love the story of the sisters and seeing that sister re- uh, relationship duplicated across generations with the aunts, the mother and her sister, the daughters. There, It's got some problems. It's not a perfect movie, but for me, I enjoy it every time I see it. And it's one that I have fond memories of watching. Uh, it does a lot of stuff that I always enjoy. I like magic, I like fantasy, but I also like my family drama and my rom-com stuff. So it's got it's got a little bit of everything that I like. <laughs> Plus female empowerment is always good. And I, li- I like the idea of... I, I shouldn't say I like the idea, but it, it's, it's not bad seeing a abuser get his comeuppance. But in a realistic way where they're not... They don't get out scot-free. They still have to kind of have their own payment for killing him. Which makes it a little more interesting, right? So for me, it's a buy it. How about you, Sean? I'm going to give it a rent it. I really like a lot of the same things about this movie that you like. I like that it's kind of a hangout movie with a lot of these, like, magical, likable women. Uh, I just kind of want more from it every time I see it. And I will say that I've liked it a little bit more each time I've seen it. I think it is one that sort of grows in estimation the more times you see it. 
unlike something like Hocus Pocus, where I really want to see it again and again, like every October kind of, this one I kind of feel like I can take long breaks from. And, you know, it's kind of a new movie each time. Yeah. I just kind of wish that some of the themes were a little bit more explored. Like, what exactly do they do with their magic? Uh, like, what mm-hmm. are the limits of their magic? Which is something that makes me curious to read the book it's based on. Oh, that's right. It's the, the Alice Hoffman novel of the same name. I have yeah. not read it either. Interesting bit of... Let me give you some Halloween trivia. This is directed by Griffin Dunn, who I know best as an actor, specifically for one of my favorite horror movies, An American Werewolf in London, which oh. is on the show. So he's the friend that's killed by the wolf and then shows up in his kind of nightmare fugue states as like a zombie and he slowly like decomposes throughout the movie. Um, So I find it interesting that Griffin Dunn went on to direct and I guess he still acts as well, but um, that he's the director of this movie that also has a lot of those supernatural elements. That's a funny little connection. What have you got for us next time, Sean? I think I know the answer. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I think that we're going to have a very witchy month this October because I'm picking one of my favorite 90s witch movies, uh, The Craft. Oh, yeah. Starring Robin Tunney, Fair Use of Balk, Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell's a favorite of yours. Yes, and I guess we'll we'll get into that a little bit uh, next episode. Yeah, and I, I, it's a movie that I, I haven't seen in a little while, but I have a lot of thoughts about. I'm sure we'll have a lot of interesting uh, discussions that come of it. It's a much darker witch movie. I feel like it's it's not full horror like this, but I feel it does lean a little bit more towards that. It is an R-rated, like, violent yeah. film. It's going to be interesting to compare to this one. Oh, absolutely. But with a lot of the same themes of, like, sisterhood and you know, accepting yourself and community. So I think it'll be a good, a good match. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song, Mandatory Groove. You can hear more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. You can learn more about us and our other episodes at our website, tapeheadspodcast.com. You can also email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time.